0: We'll continue with our study, the name of which, as you know, is Knowing the Living God. And the aim of the study is to learn from God's Word about what we call the attributes of God. I should say that's the method of the study. The goal of the study is that we would all grow in our personal, experiential, living knowledge of God by becoming more specifically acquainted with what He has revealed about Himself to us. Now, in chapter 1, we looked ever so briefly, at some of the benefits of knowing God and some of the dangers of not knowing God. And tonight we come to chapter 2, which raises the question, how then shall we live, or what should be our proper response? Now this morning, and I think this lines up fairly well, this morning I tried to make the point that doctrine always leads to practice. What we believe, what we learn, always leads to some sort of action or response. And so it only makes sense that we would, after coming out of that first chapter, here are some of the benefits of knowing God, here are some of the dangers of knowing God. That's been laid before us. So then the question now, it comes back upon us. Here's the application. What are we going to do with that? What, what use will we make of what we have learned? And this is at least one application. In light of what we, what we have seen, what ought to be our response? And the, the, the answer of the second chapter is really pretty simple. Uh, again, there could be many answers. The, the, all of life is ultimately a response to, to what we've seen. But in this chapter, again, trying to prepare us for going further in the study, the answer is simply that we should be compelled to seek this God. We've seen the benefits of knowing God. We've seen some of the dangers of knowing God. We should then be compelled to seek God. That's that's the idea behind this chapter. And the the first part of the chapter, I I don't think we'll get to the second part of it, but the first part of the chapter deals with three points under this notion of seeking God. The first is, The admonition to seek God, then there's a promise to those who will seek God. And then lastly, we'll see that this is a description of the character of the righteous. Or we could say the righteous will seek God. That's kind of how it's laid out. The admonition to seek God promises to those who seek God. And then the fact that the righteous will seek God. So then, the first passage that is mentioned is... Psalm 105, verses 4 and 5. So you can turn there. Psalm 105, verses 4 and 5. And as I read this, and what I try to do with these verses is read a little bit around them and and just think through why this is a pertinent uh, text. And I, I, I really think, going all the way back to verse 1, we could say these are all ways that we should respond once we realize that there are benefits to knowing God, or or uh, threats that come upon those who don't know God. Going all the way back to verse one, we have responses. Verse one, verse one of Psalm one hundred five. I'll give thanks to the Lord. That's a response. That's an application. How? What should be our response once we see that there are benefits offered to us? If we will come and know God. Now, knowing God is is the great benefit. I hope we understand that. But flowing out of that, there are others. More benefits in addition to knowing God. And God offers the benefits after offering the knowledge of himself. Now, what should be our response? Give thanks. Thank him. He doesn't have to do this. Nothing is nothing is, is added to him. If we know him, if we don't know him, he doesn't change. He's not altered, he's not made more glorious, more holy. So we thank him. Give thanks to the Lord. Call upon his name. Cry out to him. Pray. Make known his deeds among the peoples. Talk about it. What should be our response? Tell people what he's done. Verse two sing to him. Sing praises to him. That's a response. That's what what we ought to do. Speak of all of His wonders. How is it, really, how is it that we can stop talking about all the things that God has done? That's that's our sad condition. Speak of His wonders. Verse 3, glory in His holy name. Boast in Him. Revel in Him. Bask in the, 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 the sunlight that is God's name. His holy name. Let the heart of those who seek the Lord be glad. A lot of times we think emotions, that's out of our hand. That's something that we just, it either happens or it doesn't happen. Well, here we're commanded to be glad. Be glad. And then verse 4 is the primary text. Seek the Lord and His strength. Seek His face continually. Remember His wonders which He has done, His marvels. And the judgments uttered by His mouth. So what is the first response? Well, we should seek the Lord. And here we see, it's also put in this language, seek His face. Seek to have His attention turned towards you. Bring to mind those works and words which have put Him on display. These are all a part of seeking Him. Seeking God should be the ongoing, consistent habit of our lives. Seek His face continually. Start and don't stop. This word that's translated seek here, elsewhere it's translated using words like inquire or investigate or search or study. Go to God in order to obtain information. That's what it means to to inquire or to investigate. Give yourself to a systematic search in order to discover and examine the facts. That's what investigate means. Go after God. And this is to be our ongoing practice. A lot of people have this, this idea that there are people in this quest to seek God Prior to finding Him, they're seeking Him. Then once they find Him, they rest because they have ended the quest. But that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches actually that by nature, none of us seek God. Then there comes a point when God reveals Himself. And then from that point, we then begin to seek. And we never stop seeking. It's not that the lost among us are compelled to seek God. And once you found Him, you can take a break. Rather, it's those who know Him who are compelled to spend their entire lives delving into and exploring this God. So we should seek Him. The next verse that we're given is found in Hosea chapter 6. So we can turn there. Hosea chapter 6. And this is another one that I read the verse mentioned is verse three. I read up to it and, and I I really wish I could describe what this verse has, how the Lord has used this verse to help me, to be an encouragement to me just to bless my soul. Hosea chapter six, I'll begin reading in verse one. The heading in my Bible says the response to God's rebuke. Come, let us return to the Lord. For He has torn us, but He will heal us. He has wounded us, but He will bandage us. He will revive us after two days. He will raise us up on the third day that we may live before Him. So let us know. Let us press on to know the Lord. His going forth is as certain as the dawn, and He will come to us like the rain, like the spring rain watering the earth. Now notice, it says that His coming is as certain as the dawn. Now this is really, this is incredible. How many of us have ever gone to bed doubting whether or not the sun would come up? Not one of us. Every one of us, every time we go to sleep, we assume dawn will come, the sun will rise. Every time the sun goes down, we expect that it will come up the next day. We don't have a point of reference for the idea that dawn might not come. It has always been so, as certain as the dawn, and and think about this, why is the dawn so certain? Here, in, in this passage, God's going forth is compared to the certainty of the dawn, but then that would lead us to ask, well, why is the dawn so certain? Why are we so convinced that tomorrow the sun will rise? And the answer is because God Himself has promised that it would. God made a covenant. That's why the dawn is so certain. The certainty of the dawn is the product of God's own sureness. He is certain, He has promised, therefore the dawn will come. And then we can take that back and look back to God, and the the author says, He will come to us. His going forth is as certain as the dawn, that God, who is Himself the ground and basis For the certainty of the dawn, as certain as the sun will rise, so will He come. But notice His coming. He will come to us like the rain, like the spring rain watering the earth. We often complain about the rain. We don't understand why the rain is so important, but... These people understood. If you have a garden, if you're if you're living off of the land, you understand. If the rain does not come, you're dead. He says he will come to us like the rain, like life giving rain at the most necessary time. God will come to His people. He will come. That's what that's what we're seeing here. Here's the promise. If you give yourself to this ongoing diligent quest to know God. It'll be like this. Imagine a little boy who waits for his parents to go to sleep. It's bedtime. He sees their light go out and he flips his light on in his room and he says, I'm going to wait up all night. I'm going to wait so that I can see the sunrise. I want to be awake when the sun comes up. If you give yourself to it, If you work through the agonizing exhaustion, if you power through the final hours of the night, God will come. God will avail himself. God will be found if we will seek him. But I want to go a little bit further here, just jumping out of of the workbook itself. Because I want to I try to answer the question, what, is it, what does it mean to seek God? If, you, if you're, you're dealing with young children at all, at some point this question is going to come up. What does it mean to seek God? What does it mean to go after God? What, what, are, you, what are you saying? What does it mean to seek God? And, and I, really this might be one of the hardest things that I've ever tried to define. There are two texts that I think play side by side might help us here. So turn with me to 1 Chronicles chapter 15. The admonition is to seek God. What does it mean to seek God? 1st Chronicles 15:13 is is the first passage. Speaking of the ark of the covenant, because you did not carry it at the first, the Lord our God made an outburst on us, for we did not seek him according to the ordinance. We did not seek him According to the ordinance. Again, they're talking about the carrying of the Ark of the Covenant. They did not hold God as foremost in their thoughts. When I say God, I'm referring to whatever we might have or know of God or from God. God's revelation, God's commands, God's desires, God's threats with regard to carrying the ark, they didn't seek Him. They didn't have Him first in their thoughts. They didn't consider Him. God was not preeminent. And because this was so, when they began to act, they acted in disobedience. They acted, they acted out the disobedience of their own hearts because God Himself was not first. Okay, now turn to chapter 22 of 1 Chronicles. This is a little bit of a different context, but we still see something of the same thing. Verse 19 says, Now set your heart and your soul, 1 Chronicles 22, 19. Now set your heart and your soul to seek the Lord your God. Arise, therefore, and build the sanctuary of the Lord God, so that you may bring the ark of the covenant of the Lord and the holy vessels of God into the house that is to be built for the name of the Lord. Notice here, they are commanded to seek, or to set their hearts and souls to seek God. And then that seeking, the the, the very next thing, that seeking manifests itself in building the the temple. Going according to the prescriptions and carrying out the, the commands of God. In other words, here, before they were to take a step, before they did anything, they were to set God... First and foremost, in their hearts, their souls, their minds, however you want to say it, the, the inner man, all that they are, God was to be preeminent. And then, once they began to act, all of their actions were Godward. They, they would act according to that because God himself had been, had been set in that place of preeminence in their own thinking, in their souls, in their hearts. And then their action would be conducted entirely Godward. You're, you think of uh, a, a target in the scope of a rifle. If, if the target, assuming this thing is, is sighted in properly, if the target fills the scope, when you look into it, when you pull the trigger, the bullet is going to go in that direction. That, that's, that's where it must go because the target has filled the scope. Here, here, the, imagine the scope is, is the soul or the heart. And God has so filled it that our actions, whatever comes out, is immediately Godward, in in whatever the sense may be. Maybe it's a a direct act of obedience. Maybe it's just a thought. Maybe it's just something that you you look at or don't look at. Because God has so filled your vision that you begin to act out of that. And the first text there, then, to, to put these two passages together... They did not seek God, and that led to disobedience. In the second text, they did seek God, and that led to obedience. So then what, what is it to seek God? And I'm, I'm trying to, to take us a, a step prior to specific things that we might do, what, because I think it's more than that. What is it to seek God? To seek God is to so fixate yourself on God. That He has the supremacy in our thoughts. That He stands as the focal point of all of our actions. So that we live and do only that which pleases Him. Now this this seeking is an act of faith. It's an act of the inner man, an act of the soul, the mind, the heart. Aiming to be filled with God, His his person, His will. His will. You think of David who was referred to as a man after God's own heart. But what made David a man after God's own heart? It was that David's heart was full of God. He wasn't a man after God's own heart and then God came to him and, and brought him to himself. No, God, David in his own heart was so full of God that when he acted, he acted after God's heart. The, the inner man came out because the inner man was so full of God then his acting his living his speaking his everything was then conducted in a in a Godward manner seeking the Lord then is and I know this is hard to describe because it sounds like I'm describing a a state but but it is something that we have to we, we go through a process and, and uh, an ongoing condition you could say but seeking the lord is really having our hearts there's there's a the process having having our hearts full of god it's not a switch that we just flip on and off it's not an activity that we engage in like a word search or a crossword puzzle now it it, it does produce activities of study and learning, like we're doing, we're we're trying to study the attributes of God. But it's more than that. It's it's more than just reading and saying, "I, I see what that means, and I understand that word and those phrases, and I see that text." And it's more than that. You're you're not just going to wake up tomorrow and say, "All right, I'm going to seek the Lord for a few minutes, and then flip that off and go to work." Now, this is the, the entire lifestyle of the Christian. Is one where we are having our hearts full of God, so that everything that comes out of us is Godward. Seeking the Lord is the reorientation of the entire life of the soul in a Godward fashion so that all of the actions of the inner man and the outer man are conducted, I'm going to use a biblical phrase, they are conducted to God. Of Christ it was said, the life He lived, He lived to God. And that is to be our life. Now as Christians, we are to live to God. That's, that's seeking the Lord. Beginning in the heart and then issuing forth in our lives. Again, part of, part of seeking the Lord will be studies that we are engaged in here. We can't have our hearts and our minds full of God if we don't know Him from His Word. But even a study like we're doing, if our hearts are not full of God as we go through it, then it will just be a mental exercise. We, we, we get to the end, we won't actually know God anymore. We'll know facts about God. But remember, the knowledge of God is not just knowing the facts. We're talking about a real experiential, personal acquaintance with the person that is the God of the Bible. So that's, that's the, the first point, is the admonition to seek God. And I'll read this note that he makes with regard to that passage in Hosea. The phrase press on comes from the Hebrew word radaf, which means to follow after, run after, pursue, or chase. We are not to be casual or apathetic in our pursuit of the person and will of God, but determined and active, even ambitious. Ambitious. So we are admonished. What should we do in light of? the promises, the the rewards of knowing God, the dangers of not knowing God, what should we do? We should seek Him. We should be having our hearts and our minds full of who He is. The second thing, He moves into promises. Promises to seekers. God not only commands us to seek Him, but He has also given us many great and precious promises to encourage us. In Proverbs 2, 2 to 5 is found one of the most powerful promises in the scriptures regarding the knowledge of God. So let's turn there, Proverbs chapter 2. Verses 2 through 5. I'll just begin at verse 1. When I say, My Son, hear this as, as if God as Father is speaking to you as one of His adopted children in Christ. My Son, if you will receive My words and treasure My commandments within you, make your ear attentive to wisdom. Incline your heart to understanding. For if you cry for discernment, lift your voice for understanding. If you seek her as silver and search for her as for hidden treasures, then you will discern the fear of the Lord and discover the knowledge of God. Now notice all of the activities that are contained in this passage. Make your ear attentive. Listen. Incline your heart. Now that's... that. That's a little more difficult for us to comprehend. We know, incline our ear. We can turn our heads and say, "I'm listening." But I hope you understand. Even this is is meant to be taken in, in a spiritual context. In, incline your 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 the center of your very being. Cry for discernment. Now we're acting. Cry for discernment. Lift your voice. Seek as you would seek for silver. Search as you would search for hidden treasures. You see this seeking after god requires passion and zeal and it requires diligent effort and fervent prayer this is the picture here is a a, a leaning an inclining or a turning of, of your your whole person the whole man in the direction to be to receive revelation from god i'm, I'm we, we we see in scripture god. Is described as turning his face. Sometimes that's good. Sometimes it's bad. If he if his face is toward you, in in judgment, well that means God has turned his attention towards you specifically to pour out judgment. If his face is turned on you to bless you, he has he is giving his attention to you directly to bless you. That's the picture of turning your 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 person in a particular direction, and that's the picture here. It, we are uh, um, commanded or admonished. Turn yourself, your whole person, give your attention to revelation that would come from God. Just turn toward Him. And that again, it, it even requires prayer. I think if you're actually turned this way, you will pray. And we read Psalm 25 this morning that as we were reading through that, I was thinking, I, I don't think enough enough is said about that. Back and forth in prayer, uh, prayer, and then meditation, prayer, back and forth. Anyway, that needs to be needs to be thought on more. But there's a promise. That's the point. There's a promise. If you'll do that, if you'll turn yourself, if you'll incline yourself, lift your voice, seek, search diligently, you will discern the fear of the Lord and discover the knowledge of God. Fear of the Lord we could define just ever so briefly as life-altering God consciousness. Consciously aware of the God who is and so consciously aware of the God who is that your life inside and outside changes. Fear of God changes in light of what and who God is. The fear of the Lord, you will, you will discern that and you'll discover the knowledge of God because the fear of God assumes the knowledge of God. You can't fear that which we don't, you don't know. It assumes that you're growing in your knowledge of God, and as you grow in your knowledge of God, the, the increase or the fear of the Lord increases in you, and, and vice versa, I believe. The knowledge of God assumes that you will fear Him. If you don't fear Him, you're not knowing Him. That's just It doesn't work like that. I'll read the note here. There is an inseparable, inseparable relationship between the Scriptures and prayer. We are to lift our voice to God in prayer that He might grant us knowledge of Himself and understanding of His will. We are also to seek this knowledge as we would seek silver and hidden treasure in a deep cavern or mine. Notice also that there is a direct relationship between the knowledge of God and our reverence or fear of God. The more we know Him, the more we will respect and honor Him with our lives. To grow in the knowledge of God increases our fear of God. And, and I don't know any other way to say this, and, and I'll try to just explain myself, but as we increase in the fear of God, we intuitively know more and more of who God really is. Any knowledge of God which doesn't increase our fear of God isn't being properly digested. And any fear of God that isn't resulting in a more experiential knowledge of God probably isn't true fear. Because the knowledge of God, remember, is not just facts. The knowledge of God is personal in the soul acquaintance with God. So that when you increase in fear, something is happening to my life, my soul, because of who He is. That's what. That's how I know that I'm knowing Him. I'm knowing Him more. more... Uh, in a more lively way, a more living way, because it's changing me. When you really know someone, it's not just information about them. What you have experienced of them has changed you. And it's, it's, I could say, undergoing that change, growing in that fear that actually helps you understand who this God is. The more that I know Him, I'm increasing in fear. That's who He is. That's who this God is. To know Him is to fear Him. To fear Him is to grow in knowledge. It's the real effect of the real God upon a living soul in real time. That's how you know that you're knowing God. And you will grow in your knowledge of God. Take for example any, any particular attribute of God, His uh, immutability. I can stand here and say God's immutable. He's not able to change. But when you, when you really begin to think about what that means, and then within you, you begin to, to change, you begin to have a, a, a deeper, um, more felt, reverential fear of God because He is immutable, then you know what immutable means. God's immutability is such an immutability that it alters us in the soul when we comprehend it. That's who this God is. We can know people all day long in, in, a, in a, a surface level way and it doesn't change us. God is one who, when we know Him, it changes us. Therefore, what kind of being is this? That when we know Him, we change. That's special. We know other people in, in similar ways. You, you could think about your, your spouse. The more you grow in love for your spouse, the more, the more you um, change in certain ways. Someone has said, true love casts out all lust. Well, to grow in your love for your spouse, to recognize that within you, lust is, is falling to the wayside. I don't need that anymore. I've got true love. Knowing this person is changing who I am. But God is like that in, in, in an infinite degree the more that we know of anything about Him, alters our very being. So that as we fear, as we increase in fear, what's happening is we are actually learning who this God is. He is a God that as we know Him, we fear Him. And as we fear Him, we know Him even more. Hopefully that was not confusing. Deuteronomy 24. i want to read some other passages that I think are at least encouraging here. Deuteronomy 4.29 says, But from there you will seek the Lord your God and you will find Him if you search for Him with all your heart and all your soul. From there you will seek the Lord your God and you will find Him if you search for Him with all your heart and all your soul. Uh, Still talking about the promise. In the proverb, you seek, you'll find. Here, God says, if you seek, you'll find. If you seek with all your heart and soul. The point I want you to see here is that God is not going to be found by the half hearted. Yeah, it's true. The half hearted might come to be able to regurgitate orthodox facts about God, but the whole hearted seeker at points becomes exhausted with all of the talk. And, and, and how, I'm not saying that we shouldn't study the attributes of God. I'm not saying that we should not be able to articulate it in ways that are right and proper. But there comes a point at times when we, we, we feel this rising up in us. When we say, I'm sick and tired of all the words. I'm tired of talking. I don't want to talk about Him anymore. I want to know Him. And when you know Him, you realize the words, they're, they're not we don't want to speak erroneously about god but what are the words what are we what, what is it helping do you know him not the words the words are fine but do you actually know him and as you realize and as you grow in your acquaintance with god you realize uh, the words are scratching the surface the words don't do it justice all of the talk is just talk uh, and 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 i wonder how much talk there will be in glory about the the true and proper and orthodox way to articulate the attributes of God. We will simply know Him. It will be different. But that requires your whole heart and your whole soul. Another one, 2 Chronicles 15, 1 and 2. Another uh, amazing passage. Now the Spirit of God came on Azariah, the son of Oded, and he went out to meet Asa. And he said to him, Listen to me, Asa. And all Judah and Benjamin, the Lord is with you when you are with him. Mm -hmm. And if you seek him, he will let you find him. But if you forsake him, he will forsake you. The point that I want to draw here is that there, there comes a time when each of us is going to have to decide what we want. Do we want God with us or not? We have to make the decision. If we want God to be with us, then we must be with Him. Wholly in all that we are, given over to Him. We have to come to that settled place in our souls where we can say, I've chosen my lot and my portion and it will be the Lord. Take everything else if you must, right. and leave me if you must. But I will be with the Lord. And that's what it means to seek Him. And the Lord promises that He will be with those who are with Him. <coughs> A couple other texts. Psalm 910, those who know your name will put their trust in you, for you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. Psalm 34, 4, I sought the Lord and He answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. And then Jeremiah 29, verses 12 and 13, it seems to me like this is the, the fulfillment of what was said in Deuteronomy. You're, you're, this is going to happen to you and you will cry out. Now there in, in Jeremiah. It's, it's being restated. Jeremiah 29, 12 and 13, Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. Now here the searching began with calling upon God, coming to God, and praying. But nobody does that. Nobody comes to God, calls upon God, or prays to God unless they're first filled with a sense of who God is and they're on need. How will they call upon Him of whom they've never heard? they've, They've realized this is who God is. This is who I am. They call out to Him. They come to Him. And He says, you'll seek Me. And you'll find Me. If you'll do that with all your heart. God promises, church, God promises if you search, if you will turn toward Him with all that you are, you will find Him. He's not not to be found. You will find Him. He will let you find Him. The sun will rise. Dawn will come. You will find Him. You say, well, what if it takes my whole life? Exactly. Exactly. That's it. What if it takes everything? What if it takes my whole life? Well, then you have to decide today. What is your lot going to be? What will be your portion? What if it does take your whole life? So what? What if it does cost you everything? So what? What if everybody does leave? So what? What if you, it costs you your, your sanity? So what? What else is there than to seek after God and to know He promises that you'll find Him? And I think that is the point. It will cost you your whole life. It will take you your whole life. And then you'll close your eyes for the last time and you'll wake up and you'll see Him and He'll say, didn't I tell you that if you seek Me, you'd find Me? I told you that. And you'll say, you did. And here I am. That doesn't mean that we can't know God in this life, but it's giving your entire self to Him. I fear that many in our day, even those who talk a lot about the Bible and theology and reformation and revival, have already chosen a portion besides God, mm-hmm. because they still want so much of so many other things, along with a right, orthodox, mental comprehension of God. We love God, we talk about God, we write books about God, I want all of that, but I also want all of this stuff over here, too. And they just, they've just they already decided, Really? Some of the stuff on revival that that are uh, part of that conference that went out. I was thinking, how many in our nation talk about revival and pray for revival? Not not anything to do with those men, but how many people have already they've already decided they don't realize it? They've already made the decision that they will not be revived. Yeah. They're not going to have it. When you look at the history of what God has done in revivals, and I'm not saying that God can't do this again, that He would not have to radically alter people's lives. That's what He does. Mm -hmm. But it's like many people have already subconsciously determined in the pattern of their lives, we're not here for revival. We'll pray, we'll ask God for it, and we'll talk about it, but we're not actually here for it. We've already arranged our lives where God, they're they're basically asking, God, will you come completely reorient everything that I've done in my own life against you? Because they don't want it. They want everything else and these other spiritual or even mental concepts of God or discussions of God. And that's honestly what makes me fear the state of my own heart at times. I see how easily and quickly I am so enamored with the dust of this world. Dust. It's nothing. And here I go. After it. So easy. Easy. The good news is that we do have a God in heaven who knows our frame. Mm -hmm. He knows that we're dust. And He promises to give Himself to those who seek Him. He will be found. Listen, it's not a wild goose chase. He will be found. So there's the promise. If you seek, you'll find Him. Thirdly, we see that the righteous will seek God. The righteous will seek God. One of the most obvious characteristics of the righteous is that they seek the Lord. They're oriented Godward in their thoughts and actions. Again, not perfectly. And do we not bemoan the imperfections? I I, I wish that I could seek God perfectly. I wish that I... Not that I could. I wish that I would seek God perfectly. And I think it's both a sad and glorious irony that the moment when we will no longer seek after the Lord with imperfections in our seeking will be the moment when we no longer seek because we see Him face to face. And that's just a part of living in now, the already but the not yet. But until then, we seek Him. The righteous seek the Lord. Psalm 27, verse 8 is the passage here. Psalm 27, verse 8. when you said, seek my face, my heart said to you, your face, O Lord, I shall seek. Now in verse 2 of this psalm, we see a reference to the evildoers. So David is being contrasted with the evildoers. David would be standing in the as the, the embodiment of the righteous, the godly here. And this is, it's interesting, astonishing really, that God speaks, seek my face. The righteous hear God speak, and they respond. They, there is a determination that comes from within the righteous. Their heart, my heart said, Your face, O Lord, will I seek. We often use the illustration of a father who comes running to his child who maybe is hurt or distressed and picking them up and saying look at me look at me calm down look at me look at me maybe there's maybe there's blood don't look at the blood look at me look at me you're trying to give them comfort you want them to see i'm i'm not distressed see my face i'm calm the situation is not one in which we need to to be so distressed because to look at that calm face brings comfort So also, when the righteous understand, when when we come to realize that all that God has ever said can be summed up in these words, "Here I am, this is me. Seek my face." When you realize that's what that's what all of revelation is—special revelation, general revelation—all of it is God saying, "Here I am. This is who I am. Seek my face." When we realize that, our response at a moment and then for our whole lives after that moment from the depth of our soul should be, Your face, O Lord, I shall seek. I think some of you need to make that decision tonight. You, you need to say to God in your heart, with your whole heart, I'm finished seeking after dust. I'm, I'm through with it. It's not there, there's no promise. If I seek all of the gold and silver of the world, there's no promise that I'll get it. And even if I did get it, it would all rot or I would die. But if I seek God, I will see Him. I will find Him. I will know Him. And you need to just pray and say that. Your face, O Lord, I shall seek all of my days. I'm I'm tired of clamoring after all of these other things. Another passage that is, is perhaps more well known that's referenced here is Philippians. Chapter 3, Philippians 3, 7 and 8, Paul says, but whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Mm -hmm. More than that. I count all things to be lost in the the NAS puts it this way, in view of so you see here Paul got to that point where he's looking at two different things he, he can see two things in his sight Christ and everything else everything else he could possibly have he looked at all things but his view was obstructed by the prospect of knowing Christ. And he had the opportunity to put it all in the balance. There's Christ, there's knowing Him, there's knowing God in Christ, and there's everything else. And he says, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them but rubbish, so that I may gain Christ. Paul says to have everything if it is at the expense of knowing Christ. If that's the cost, then everything else is loss. How is it that a person can come to possess everything and not be richer? How is it that someone can come to possess everything Everything and be more impoverished in having everything? Here is the answer. They lose sight of Christ in the process. To have Christ or to know God and have nothing else is to have everything. If you know God, that's all you've got. That is to have everything. But to have everything... Without God is to have nothing. It's to be bankrupt, destitute, impoverished. You've got nothing if you don't have God. That's what Paul's saying. Those whom God saves, that is the righteous, He sets on the path of seeking Him. The note here says, one of the most obvious characteristics of the righteous is that they seek to know God and His will. Although even the most mature and zealous believers will struggle with sin and apathy, we must all press on to know God to know Him and please Him should be our magnificent obsession and the controlling truth of our lives. And then we have some brief descriptions of, or a description of, of the opposite, the wicked. From Job twenty-one fourteen and 15, I'll just read several texts, you don't have to turn there. They say to God, depart from us. We do not even desire the knowledge of your ways. Who is the Almighty that we should serve Him? And what would we gain if we entreat Him? What would we gain? They have no understanding of the currency in the created universe. They don't even they don't even understand. What what, what would we get if we if we called out to him, if we asked him? They're, they're blind. They're ignorant. They're 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 stupefied. The condition of the wicked is so sad that it's difficult to contemplate or even comment on. Psalm 14, 1 to 3. The fool has said in his heart, There is no God. They are corrupt. They have committed abominable deeds. There is no one who does good. The Lord has looked down from heaven upon the sons of men to see if there are any who understand, who seek after God. Notice here that without knowing God, all of one's actions are full of evil, full of death. Again, doctrine always leads to practice. What you believe will issue forth in your living. 2 Chronicles 12, 14. He did evil because he did not set his heart to seek the Lord. He was not turned toward God, and he did not live to God. God was not in all of his thoughts, and therefore his lifestyle showed it. He he couldn't do anything other than evil. Psalm 10, verse 4, The wicked, in the haughtiness of his countenance, does not seek him. All his thoughts are, there is no God. Haughtiness is defined as Unreasonable or inordinate self-esteem. We might say pride. I think it might literally read something like in the pride of his face. In the haughtiness of his countenance. This man thought so highly of himself that he did not seek God. If you're not seeking God, what does that say? It says that you are haughty of countenance. You think highly of yourself. You think you are God. Why, why would you seek after God if you are God? That's, that's what the scriptures teach. For this man, all of his thoughts, his whole thought life, the the whole life of his inner man was no God. That's the unrighteous. They don't seek after God. Let me close with two passages of Scripture and some comments. Psalm 65, 1. God says, I permitted myself to be sought by those who did not ask for me. I permitted myself to be found by those who did not seek me. I said, here am I, here am I to a nation which did not call on My name." By nature, we don't seek God. What we learn here is that our seeking after God begins with God coming to us and making Himself known to us. We haven't even gotten into the, the formal attributes of God, but think about this God. Here We're learning about God here. If we are to know the living God, start right here. God permits Himself to be sought by those who were not seeking for Him. Those who were not seeking Him, He revealed Himself to them anyway. That's the God we're talking about. It's as if God jumped out in front of us while we were blindly, ignorantly groping at the door of hell got in our way and said, Here am I! Here am I! He stopped us in our tracks. That's God. That's the God of the Bible. He stops us and He lets us have a glimpse of Himself and completely reroutes us in our lives and our eternity. Amen. That's the God of the Bible. And so then, Isaiah 55 verse 6 says, Seek the Lord while He may be found. Call upon Him while He is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts and let him return to the Lord and he will have compassion on him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. God is not obliged to remain within our sight. There are times when God may be found when he comes near and there are times when he withdraws himself and the door is closed. And so he says, Seek the Lord while he may be found. God is full of compassion. God is full of pardoning mercy. When God pardons sins, he pardons abundantly. He will abundantly pardon. But if you hear that and your thought is, Well, if that's the case, I'll just wait a little longer. My sins are still quite enjoyable and I'm not ready to leave them just yet. If that's your thought, then I can't make any promises to you. There are no promises. You've already decided. I'll take eternity into my own hands. You're presuming upon God. Call upon Him while He's near. Let's pray.